Hi, everybody. Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates, contemplates, and sometimes criticizes current classic and cult films. I'm Steve Rubin, your host. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and we're on the Lock 22 Network. Here it's always Saturday night, and I'm pleased to welcome my guest tonight, former makeup artist extraordinaire, Frank Griffin. Hi, Frank. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Last week, we had Frank's sister on the show, Deborah Padgett, the actress from The Ten Commandments, Broken Arrow, and Omar Khayyam, and so many other great movies. And I was delighted to know that the entire Griffin family is a is a show business family. Uh, Frank had two other acting sisters uh, who had stage names, Tila Loring and Lisa Gay. And uh, I... I learned a lot from film history talking to Deborah, and I want to fill in some further gaps from you, Frank, because you went in an entirely different area. But let's start at the beginning. You're a Colorado native. You were born in Denver, right? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 and then we came out here. Actually, we came out, I think, three times, three that I remember. We came out once when my older sister was stripping downtown. And, on Bank Street in, in the Follies, and then we came out, and then when that left, we went back to Denver, and she, my sister always traveled with my mother, you know, most of the stage mothers, they, they did that with her, and then about a year and a half later, Paramount signed my older sister, and we came back out here, and then until her contract expired, went back to Denver, and then we came out the third time, World War II, and, uh, that's when uh, uh, I was, by that time, I, was, I guess I was about uh, 12 or 13. And so we all came out. And my dad went to work in the studios on the labor gang. Well, let's, my, let's, let's, my, uh, let, let's yeah. back up. Let's back up a little bit. You said your older sister was a stripper. Uh, how did the oh, family, yeah, yeah. how did the family feel about that? Well, you know, my, 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 um, my mother was a, uh, the stage mother uh, from hell. So whatever she said went, and uh, and she uh, first they'd been in vaudeville, but the money was so much better in burlesque, and so she just decided. And I think it was the age of twelve or thirteen, she turned my sister Marcia into the stripper, and she stripped her under the name of Marcia, <clears throat> and then later she changed her name to Tila Loring, you know, and. Uh, the family didn't mind, you know, because it was a show business. And in in those days in the 30s and 40s, most of the strippers traveled with their mothers because most of them had come from the most of mothers were either ex-strippers or chorus girls. So uh, it was it was sort of a family affair. Burlesque was in those days. It was all proscenium arts theaters, not not the uh, the poles and stuff that you see today. Right, right. It was a little more what they called tasteful. Oh, 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 yeah, it was, you know, you had, usually at Burlesque Show, you had, of course, you had six or seven strippers, whatever, and you had comics, which is the, the great comic bit, and you usually had a tenor, and maybe even a couple of uh, tap dancers or something. There would usually be about a 10-act show each performance, and they performed usually, I think, five, six shows a day, a week, I mean, a day, you know, <clears throat> it would start around, oh, one o'clock in, in the afternoon, but go to, I think the last show usually was a midnight show. 
Well, I would think that during the depression where money was tight, that stripping money came in handy. Oh, it, it was because it was, she was really making big money at the time for that. And, uh, so, uh, um, and, and they, it, was, it was funny because in our family, you know, any, any money, any of us make went right into my mother's purse. I, I know, you know, when I went to work on the labor gang from the time I was, uh, well, even when I started before 13, 14, I was working, you just always handed the check over to mother. And then when I started on the labor gang at the studios at 16, um, she, I never checked, I never cashed one of my own checks until I got married. So, uh, it was just the way the things were in those days, the way you were raised. So Deborah told me that you guys moved to California the, the final time and you moved across from the Paramount Studios. Is that true? Well, that was the, actually, I, her, 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 I think she, she forgot we made one more trip because the, the, the time that we lived there was, it was in 41. In fact, we were living there when Pearl Harbor took place and we, we were living in an apartment house. There was a street called Marathon that ran uh, to the, the very famous front of Paramount. And then on, on the left side of that street was a, the big building. And then, uh, and then there was, of course, the, uh, Old Blast was a very famous restaurant that all the Paramount people, the RKO people used. And it was on the left side. And then but the apartment house that we lived in uh, eventually was taken over because Paramount eventually bought all the property from where we had lived clear to a street called Van Ness, which is maybe another 150 yards. And uh, so that building, in fact, that building still uh, uh, was used as an office building then. So you, you arrive and uh, your dad's Dad's working on the Paramount lot and, and labor gang. And is that what you drifted into uh, as a starting professional? Well, well but, you know, what, what happened, you know, we just uh, actually he was working at Columbia. He was oh. on the Columbia labor gang. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> and um, then when I turned 16, I guess, you know, my mother could really spend money. So uh, he, uh, he they got me a job. And I remember my. My first day uh, laboring, I, I rode a bicycle. If you remember any of old Hollywood, I rode it over the old Coenga Pass and then up over Barham to, to Warner Brothers. <clears throat> and I worked there for about a week. And there was a nice guy started picking me up because it was an impossible bike ride. And then <clears throat> after that first week, my dad was able to get me over to uh, Columbia, which was, you know, a, a walk away from where we were. And so I, I started there like uh, I, I was probably in July of '45 because I know the, uh, the war was over in Europe and the, the guys were just starting to come back. So when, when I was there, I was working with all these GIs and stuff. It was, it was quite an uh, upbringing for a, a young kid. Uh, do you remember the first show that you could remember that you worked on? As an, as an actor? As uh, well as a uh, labor. Oh, oh well, of course you know there you uh, we were we, we we did what we did we dug ditches we did it we never really worked around so although I do remember the first I, the first day that uh, I got there they put us over on stage seven and we were moving um, bed the heavy beds because 
State 7 was also a, a water tank state. So, and they were making a, an old movie called uh, the Palm Muni film. Um, from 92, my memory failed me, but but I'll, it'll come back to me. But it was a it was a war movie uh, with Paul Muni, and La- I remember Larry Parks was in it, who eventually did, you know did uh, Al Jolson. Uh, but uh, that was the first one I ever worked on, you know. Well, you know, thanks to IMDb, every movie ever known to man is uh, is listed. So all I need to do is uh, go to uh, 1945. Well, and Paul Mooney, yeah, interestingly, Paul, 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 Paul Mooney, um, I was just going to say, uh, for all the movies, he, he only did 29 movies, uh, from what I can gather such here. such a great actor. I thought he was such a good actor, yeah. Such, such a wonderful yeah. actor. And, oh, uh, God, yes. In 1945, he did a movie called Counterattack. That's probably the one you talked to that, during that, World War II. That could Mexico. have been it, although yeah. I do remember that doesn't sound familiar. So whatever the uh, title I knew probably was a working title. Because as I said, I'm sure he was in Larry Parks, who was I think he was a just a contract player there. And then I think the following year or something, he did the uh, uh, Al Jolson story. So, um, well, if you're if you're on the Columbia lot in '45, I got a question for you because one of my favorite movies was made by Columbia in '45. It was uh, one of those um, what they call. Uh, uh, Arabian Adventures. It's called The Thousand and One Nights with Cornell Wilde. Does that ring any bells? Oh, sure. Yeah, that was. Oh, yeah. We called them tits and sand movies. But, uh, <laughs> or, that's what they always called them. Was tits and sandals, or or, or, or sometimes they say uh, tits and and, and uh, tits and sandals. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Because that was. I think that was either just before or right after he had done the Jolson story, which is. Uh, and Cornell Wilde, he had just done, uh, no, Cornell Wilde had just done the the thing about Chopin. Um, right, right. A song to remember, is that right? Or, or, uh, song to remember, yeah. Song to remember, that's right. right. <laughs> Bear with me in my memory. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, you, and, you, uh, did this, you did this labor gang stuff at Columbia, and then did you guys go back to Denver and then come back out again? No, no, we know that. that, that no, we were here for, for good by then because, uh, <clears throat> oh, a couple of years, see, the, in the following year or so, there was, a, there was an old actress from Broadway named Queenie Smith. And if you, could, you could look her up. She was, and she had a, a, an acting school for children. And it was down on Cower Street, <clears throat> just above Santa Monica Boulevard. And it looked like an old barn, and that's what they called it. And she taught everybody. So I... I went there and, and both my younger sisters, and uh, and so that and so Debbie and I, Debbie, actually she 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 went to a, a, the drugstore there on the corner, and a guy gave her a card. Now, I remember his name was Tillman Pond, and he was an agent, <clears throat> and so he got uh, Debbie and and I uh, interview over at Fox, and, uh, and they te- they tested us, and. Um, and they, they took Debbie, and that's when her career got started. So she was, I think, Debbie was 14 when when, when we did that. So she could have been 13, but because I remember she did her first, she did a couple of small roles 
in films before she did Broken Arrow, she did one called uh, <clears throat> House of Strangers, which is with uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson. And then she had done another one called Cry of the City, which I think was Victor Mature and her. And she was only a kid, like 15 or 14. And then she did Broken Arrow. And, uh, you, and then she took mother, off. Your mother was encouraging the girls, but I gather that you were not comfortable uh, starting out as an actor. Oh, no. Well, no. I, I mean, I got a little job, but I was never happy doing it. I just, uh, uh, I had always felt that I was poorly trained. I had always thought, <clears throat> had I really wanted to do it, I would have. I would have had the balls to go back to New York and study back there somewhere, but uh, and and I really wasn't that interested. Uh, uh, I just was never happy do, doing it, and the girls loved it. Uh, um, so you know, it, it just it, just different strokes for different folks. Uh, and uh, so you you and you, my you, mother. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I I'm ninety two. I I, I stop a lot. So. <laughs> No, what I was going to say is that um, uh, you obviously went into makeup. Tell me the road that led you that way. Well, it's, it's, well, it's funny because the test that Debbie and I did, there was a, the makeup man on that test was a guy named Harry Merritt, a very fine makeup man. He did the test. I remember he, I think they put a mustache on me at, at 17 or 18, thinking I could look a little older. <clears throat> so years later, uh, when I was with my second wife, uh, RKO had, uh, they started, uh, Howard Hughes sold it, and, and, and a company bought it, and they started producing films again. <clears throat> so uh, Larry Germain, who'd been the head of hair, and uh, he was a friend of Hughes, so Hughes had kept him all the time, but they didn't have a makeup man. <clears throat> so they hired um, Harry as a makeup department head, and, and uh, my, my second wife was Larry's, Secretary, so he and I uh, sort of crossed paths again, and we we became drinking buddies, and uh, and slowly uh, he finally convinced me. He said, "Well, why don't you take up uh, makeup?" And I, at the time, I still had this thing thinking I might make it. I said, "No, I'm not interested." And then uh, when I was back laboring, um, I uh, I was I was down pounding nails one day, and this other famous makeup man, his name was Shotgun Britain. He came by and said, what are you doing? I'm just making a living. So he started, he had a class and he was teaching young makeup men because it was very busy that time and the uh, <clears throat> apprentice program couldn't handle it. So, uh, and then because of that, my, my wife told Harry, he said, well, he said, I'll teach him. He said, don't, don't let Shotgun teach him. Because Shot, Shot was a, a, he was a very famous character, but, but he wasn't great with makeup. So I, I started learning with Harry and, uh, he, he he was a great friend. He did a lot of famous women. He did uh, Gene Tierney. I'm trying to think. He, he just was a, a great makeup man from Fox. How much how, uh, how much training do you have to go to become a makeup person? I I, I gather it's a rather lengthy process to understand the well, whole aesthetic. <laughs> well, it was then. Then uh, you know uh, I got in because finally. Uh, uh, I started working over at CBS uh, TV, which they were a little more lax, and and they didn't have. They were making a movie. Uh, I, I forget what the movie was. It was a very oh, My Fair Lady. So uh, so it was using up all the makeup, and so the the, <clears throat> the networks couldn't get guys. So they were 
taking guys off of what they called the roster, which were non-union. And so they, they started using me. And um, so I, I, I got in, in through that way. And I was, uh, but I was still laboring, you know, because uh, I'd get maybe two or three days uh, a, a week on the on the makeup thing. And uh, after I'd been there a couple of years, uh, I finally took my test, and I got what in those days they had what they called a CV card, and I could only work CV unless the studio rosters were empty. And then uh, the following year, <clears throat> I, I, I took my test for the film, and uh, and that. Uh, and then I went over to uh, uh, I, I, Ben Nye, who was the head of, at Fox. Harry, Harry asked him. So I got started over at Fox. I started on a show called the Tammy Grimes Show because she had, she had requested me because I had done her makeup over at CBS. And she, we just got along. She was just crazier than a Marsh Air, but just a great gal. And uh, <laughs> she was married to Christopher, Plum, Christopher Plummer. And, uh, but just a great gal. So, um, so you were over on the Fox lot on Pico. No, no. Well, yeah. Oh, exactly. You're you're right. Yeah, it was. I keep. Yeah, it was Pico. Um, and uh, that we did the uh, we did the the Tammy Grimes show, but we did both. And then we the Tammy Grimes show took like three days a week, and then you would alternate the same crew. We would do another three days on a show called the Green Hornet. Which was, you know, Bruce Lee, and I forget who else was in it. But, uh, oh yeah, of course, and, uh, Van, Van Williams. Van Van Williams, Van Van Bruce Bruce Lee, and uh, so we did that for about. Uh, I guess I think we did eleven episodes of Tammy, but but as I said, she was so crazy they they they, they dropped it. But it it, it was uh, her and her her brother was six stars. It was a it was a fun show. Well, I but, think but that Tammy I was think. I think the fans would probably be interested to know your impression of Bruce Lee. Well, he, you know, he, uh, he struck everybody. He was very, very, I, 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 I have to say arrogant, but, uh, and, uh, but, but, but I mean, I guess rightfully so. There's no doubt. I guess he was great at what he did. And I, I remember our son coordinator and he were, were going to get into it. Unfortunately they didn't, but, uh, he he was a little arrogant, but uh, um, I said I had I had nothing to do with him. I made up uh, see, on that show. I uh, I don't think I made I don't think he wore makeup, uh, but uh, and um, I, I was partners with a, an old makeup man and on the <clears throat> on the Tammy Grimes show. I did her and he did everybody else. And on on uh, the Hornet, the, uh, he and I. Did, Split everybody, but I ended up. He was an old guy, so I ended up at the time doing mostly the women and stuff. So, uh, well, it's fun. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that Bruce Lee was arrogant because there was a bit of controversy this last couple years when that Quentin Tarantino movie came out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and there was some pushback that his that portraying. uh, Lee as a bit arrogant in his scene was wrong, but from what you're telling me, that might have been very accurate. Well, I, yeah, I, 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 of I, I don't know whether I'm mistaking arrogance for just being so self-assured, but uh, uh, he, 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 you know, he didn't speak to many people. He, he, 
And uh, when it came, when the stunt man, the stunt coordinator was trying to set up the fights and stuff, he wouldn't. He had nothing to do. He did it his way, you know. So uh, uh, I can only say to me, he appeared arrogant. But uh, now, according to your IMDb listing, your first feature uh, as a makeup artist was a western with Burt Reynolds called Sam Whiskey. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at that time I was still, uh, I, I had my card by then. But I was just, you know, doing. I, I was bouncing between Fox and Universal, you know, because they they they, they both liked me. And so if I get laid off, one day, the other would pick me up. So I I was over at Universal and and Nick brought me in. He said, Hey, uh, you want to take? Would you want to do a show with uh, Angie Dickinson? She's just starting, and she needs a makeup man. Well, I said okay, and uh, so it was. Uh, but the other makeup man, he was famous. We called him Willie Burger, and he could always work out. So you ended up doing everybody, and that's the way it was. With it, finally, I was doing everybody on the cast except Burt Reynolds, and uh, but uh, it, it, was, it was a funny film. I thought it was one of his funniest. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the film, but it, it was a good film. Had a good cast. Had Clint, remember Clint Walker. Had him and had sure, from, from Cheyenne, of course, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, very nice, very, very nice man, yeah. Very sweet man, yeah. <clears throat> and Aussie Davis, of course, very good, you know, he was um, one of the really great, good working black actors at the time. So, um, oh, I got a chance to work with Aussie Davis uh, on a remake of 12 Angry Men for Showtime. Just a very gentle man. Oh, really? Good guy. Yeah, he played oh, one yeah, of the yeah. jurors. Uh-huh. He was a very sweet, very sweet man, but a very good actor and, uh, you know, and didn't get enough work, I think, for his, his talent, you know. So, so, now, when you when but, you did, when you did makeup, did you specialize in beauty makeup or did you do all kinds of making makeup, including well, special in, effects? In those in, in those days, today it's completely different. But in those days, uh, you learned to do a little bit of everything. And as I said, Harry had first got me into doing beauty work and beards and doing hair work. We call it hair work. And uh, so usually in your, in your makeup case, you carry everything in your makeup case to do almost any makeup. Then you carry another bag, which usually was a, a doctor's medical bag. And in it, you carry hair and, and different uh, tools that you would use for, for laying beards. It's called a hackle. There was a stove. There was ovens. There were... Uh, curling irons there were all kinds of things so you could lay beards and uh and, and things like that so you, you, you it, to, to really work in those days you had to know it all now today uh it's a whole different thing because they, uh, when i was started there was a three-day test to get into makeup it was a i think there were like four things in the first day which was a woman usually a, age makeup a beauty makeup I think an Asian makeup, and also you just did a base. And the first night with a man, you did like you do. You do a scar. You do a broken nose. You do a cauliflower ear. Uh, you do a uh, an age makeup on him, and uh, also you would lay a full beard, and you had to make it so that you could cut it down to a fairly decent five point Van Dyke. And and say judging then the last night was usually. Uh, uh, one or other, some of those those things. It took uh, 
we tried it one day to do it all in one day on the, on the examining board. I think it took for those for those four nights work. It took about thirteen hours that that one day. So we just found it didn't work. So uh, and it was a tough test. But then consequently, um, uh, there was a couple of women got in and they couldn't pass the test. And finally, they sued. We're going to sue, and the and the and the union capitulated. And so there's no test now. So all you have to do is be able to spell makeup, and I think a lot of them can't do that. Well, you, uh, we're not going to talk about all your credits, but one that I would love to ask you a few questions about is a favorite of mine, which is from 1973, which was the original Westworld. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was that really was a, a fun, fun film. I had uh, the previous show I was on was at one of the uh, Planet of the Apes, and I met this really great old character man named Irving Pringle. <clears throat> and so he told me when we were working, he said, you know, I got a chance to do this movie down at MGM, but I, I, I might have to leave, so do you want to go over with me? And so we went and we interviewed and we got we got Westworld, and uh, I remember uh, <clears throat> we only had like two weeks to prepare it. It's not like today. You know, now they get six weeks and 20 people, but so he and I, um, we uh, we took a flight. They got us our passport that thing one day. One day they called us. You got got you got to fly. So we flew. We were supposed to fly to um, Paris, and and then land, and then we were going to go to Deauville, France, and meet Yul Brenner. And instead, they, while we were in the midair, I guess the Paris had an airstrike, so we had to land in uh, London. And from London, we, we grabbed a train and, and took the, the, the tunnel. Oh, no, the, we, no, they didn't have the tunnel. We took a boat, and we went over there. And I remember because we had these, we had a trunk, and it was loaded with bags of white powder. Oh, well, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. You're, you're, you're telling me that Westworld, you had to fly to Europe? But Westworld wasn't made in Europe, oh, was yeah. it? No, no, no. But we had to get a full head impression of Ewell Brenner. Oh, okay. And we and and we didn't have the time, so um, so we 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 met him, and as I said, we did all of this. We finally end up in Paris, and then a a a, 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 um, a, a limo driver took us to Deauville, France, and we end up in this little uh, room with the, and, and so we got there, and then we I remember Irving and I got up about four thirty that morning, and. Uh, walked into the little village and had coffee and stuff. Then we went back and we had a appointment with Ewell for seven. So, but we had asked, we said, we, we need a whole bunch of ice. To, 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 that would be to slow down the alginate. So he said, well, I'll, I'll see you again. Well, he sent us, he sent us this big, big case of, a big case of ice, but it was from the fish market. So it was, it was a pretty pungent bathroom. And then we uh, were in this bathroom. He came and sat there for us. And I remember we mixed up the uh, alginate at a bidet, and we mixed up no, the. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. Uh, what what word are you using there? Did you say alginate? Oh, alginate. It's it's, a, it's the same thing they use nowadays. If you take an impression of your teeth, the first thing they put in is the soft stuff. Is the, oh, I don't know what they call it today, but we used to call it alginate. And uh, so you you put so we put that all over half of his head, you know, and then you'd go over that and you'd put maybe a, a thin layer of gauze and then you 
start putting real fast acting uh, plaster of Paris on it. And then you do the second half, and then you pull these off, and you had a full head. And then we, after he left, and we would take the, it was called a negative, and then you pour into that tool stone, and you got this real heavy um, positive, which was his head. And then we flew that, we, and, uh, we flew back to, um, but it was funny because, as I said, the airstrike was on in Paris. So Yule had, he flew us back, uh, not himself, but he had his own plane, and so he flew us back into uh, England on on his plane. And we eventually got back here, and so we had this this full head, and from that we were able to make some of the gags that had to be made. Uh, you know, we made a fiberglass, I call it a vacuum form mask for him, and and we we had a couple of gags that we did, you know. But it was, well, his, his, it was his, a much his makeup, uh, I mean, when you see his character walking around, uh, yeah. it's, obvious, it's obviously his face, but he had a very interesting kind of makeup to give him kind of a, a mannequin-type face. Well, that was just, you know, I just, I just made it a little thicker than usual. Although right. He was very, he was very precise because he wanted to, uh, he always had you make him up in such a way that it, it uh, uh, strengthened the idea that he had uh, he was Russian Tatar, you know. So I'd, I'd sort of bring him, try to make it as Asian as I could. And uh, he was just a delightful guy. I loved him. He really was a nice guy. Very, very quiet. He, he was always he was he was always telling everyone because the, the outfit he used was the gun, the outfit he had used in the uh, Magnificent Seven. Right, right. He's and, he's uh, Chris. He's he's kind of like the warped version of Chris the gunman. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah. So uh, he uh, he. I I I really enjoy. I, I remember I, one morning uh, we we were had his own dressing room where I made him up, and uh, I was standing out in front and I had him having a cup of coffee. This limo pulls into his spot and I walked over to say, "You're in Yule's uh, <laughs> spot." And, and this, this guy, I said, ma'am, you're in Yule's spot. And Yule sitting in the back said, Frank, I want you to meet my son. But he had, he had, he was so pretty and had long hair. But uh, uh, Yule just, he was fun. He loved to tie knots. He, uh, he just was a, sort of a simple man in a lot of ways. Uh, but very, very, you know, he's still very uh, poised. And uh, uh, now, did you also? I did you also do the makeup for Richard Benjamin and James Brolin? Well, I, I became friends with, with James. He When he was doing a show called Hotel, I used to drop in and see him. He just was a great, James was a great guy, and Benjamin was wonderful. And uh, uh, Benjamin, I worked with him a couple other times, and uh, and he was going to, I remember he was going to direct uh, my favorite year, and I came in, I did the test where we, they picked the kid who played the, uh, you know, the uh, aide, and, and he wanted Oh, you mean to um, Mark, Mark Lynn Baker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we, we did a test of that, and he was really in it. So, uh, but, but Richard, uh, and then I saw Richard years later, I said, are you still working? He said, I'd kill to get a job, but he was really a, a nice guy. I liked him and his wife was Paul, Paul Apprentice. And, uh, now, I, I um, saw in one of the articles that you had an association with Berman Studios. Did you work with them a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah, with well, Tommy. 
Oh, don't, oh yeah, well, Tommy was, uh, you know, he was an apprentice over at, uh, he was uh, at the time of uh, the, the eight stuff. Danny Streepeck was the department head. And I, I, I still say that to this day, I think Danny was the finest makeup artist of any of them. <clears throat> and because uh, he just did things all the time. He just, he, he just worked hard. He uh, he just is a good. Oh, I just thought he was no no nobody better. But <clears throat> so but Tommy was uh, he was an apprentice there, and uh, then he um, trying to think how long it took him before he started the Berman Studios. He'd been in a, he became a journeyman of course, and uh, and then he opened a, a little his, his his studio there over. I think it was at Van Nuys Boulevard, Van Nuys, and. Uh, then when I got it, uh, we did a, a thing called Close Encounters, and I got that. And so we, we uh, I worked over there a lot where we were making those little heads for the children and stuff. But Tommy, I still talk to Tommy. He lives, got a beautiful, beautiful home now just north of uh, Santa Barbara in Goleta. Yes, in fact, I bumped into him uh, at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. I got to say hi because... As I recall, I think he worked on, um, didn't he do this, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland? Wasn't that I a think, I think I think he did. I think yeah. He did. Um, uh, but you, meant, I, you I mentioned, excuse me, you mentioned Planet. earlier that, um, that you worked on the Planet of the Apes movies or the TV show? Well, I, I, I worked on the, um, I worked on the movies a little bit, but I, I got to tell you what they, what happened. The uh, <clears throat> John Chambers, I know he to me was a he was a bully. He was a, he was a bully. He, he was a he was a great uh, uh, you know a, a appliance man, but he wasn't a good makeup man at all. But but uh, and so I I just one day he started jumping me about something, and I just told him I said you know you goddamn candy, I just leave me alone. So I was uh, uh, not to be spoken to. So I didn't. I, I went up to uh, the, the uh, location for Planet of the Apes, and it, it's an odd story because uh, on the way up, flying up, uh, the leading lady, she got to talking to me, and it turned out she and I had done a, a, a film test for a series over at Fox, and Linda Harrison, I think right? That was her name. Yeah, she played. Yeah, she married. Yeah. So. Uh, she, so when we get up there, she asked the, the department, she said, I'd like him to make me up. Well, that didn't go too well because, they, you know, they all knew she was going to marry Zanny. So they had already, you know, drawn locks to who would get her. Well, I got her. And I never could get the make. She just looked crappy. So I remember when we came back, Danny, Danny came out and I said, what the hell happened? What did she? I said, I gave, I put on her what I was given. And he said, well, what were you given? I said, I got an M1 which was a base, uh, usually for men in Westerns. And I said, I put a base of M1 on her, and then I like Egyptian pancake washers. That's what I was told to use. <clears throat> he turned to the department head. He said, what happened to the makeup we set up that we tested? Well, I knew then they had set me up. You know, they'd given me the wrong makeup. So uh, so he, he told me, he said, well, I can't save your ass now. He says, Danny, you went mad. But uh, he, he, he put me on the, the last year of... Uh, lost in space but he fired he fired the department head right there on the spot and uh so but the, the, my, my, it was sort of a, a, 
a victory after a while because uh, they gave her another makeup man who was not popular. So when the picture was over, she went into Dandy's office and she said, the next picture, I want Frank as my makeup man. So, you know, it was sort of a victory for me. So, uh, uh, because, you know, they, 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 it, could, it could have been, sometimes it was a nasty business. So, uh, so the, anyway. if, I, if I'm not mistaken, she's in Planet of the Apes 2, uh, beneath the Planet of the well, Apes. Yeah, well, that, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny told me that she's only in it for a few days, and, and Charlton's only in it for a couple of days. So you just do that, and you, well, I ended up doing the whole show. But she just was such a nice girl, Linda was. Uh, and uh, I, I did the second one. Then uh, I forget the one. Um, so when you're when I you're doing when, when you're doing Linda Harrison on the second one, and she's done, do you segue into making those ape appliances? Oh yeah, oh no, no. In those days, you did, yeah, because you, you, I wasn't hurt uh, alone. I, I I'd help with whatever was to be done. Maybe they throw a gorilla at you, or you know whatever. I know the, the the third one we did. We had these pullover masks that looked like what they looked like was you had skinned a, a human, so you could see all the veins and the musculature and stuff. And I, I still got I still got a picture of me painting those. And uh, uh, but uh, I did the third one. I think might have worked on the. Oh, I know the fourth one. I got you know who actor Claude Aikens was. Oh sure, of course. Claude Aikens is a great old yeah, character well, actor, big guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I did Claude. He was a gorilla, and and we became fast friends. And, and uh, what he loved to do was, uh, we'd sit there. We, we we played a lot. Of, I used to play chess all the time. So he might be sitting there playing chess. And there's this gorilla, and he, and if he didn't like a movie, he start whooping like a gorilla and slapping <laughs> because it was all rubber and dirty. I said, we ought to take this back to Vegas. But uh, he just was a, uh, just a, a great guy, good golfer. I loved him, yeah. That's uh, funny. That's very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Planet of the Apes movies were such uh, epic, uh, you know, the, the, they're oh, all yeah. such epic films. Yeah. And of course, they, they, they've lived on and they're now they're doing still doing Planet yeah. of the Apes movies with all the digital effects, which are amazing. Uh, in a yeah. non non science fiction movie, you did a film in '80. You got to work with her uh, with uh, John Travolta on Urban Cowboy. Well, yeah, I did him on that. I, I mean, I worked. No, I did everybody. And if you know the movie, I did everybody in that cast except John. Got it. And, okay. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, I did a movie with he and Olivia Newton-John called, I think, Second Chance. And uh, and I do Olivia in the rest of the show, and again he has another makeup man, and then I didn't realize it until the other night I was watching a movie. I said, Jesus Christ, I worked on that, and it was a a thing with the Harry Dean Stanton, Sean Penn, and his wife at the time, and uh, I can't think of the name of it, but but John was in it also, and uh, he was in it for like two weeks out of the movie, and uh, um. So I I I did his makeup on that. He did. I like John. He's a nice kid. Yeah, he's a, he's a hardworking guy. He does always. Oh does yeah, work. yeah, he's a good actor. I like you know, but boy, he's still his career is good. And so he, he he was just a decent guy. He, I loved his family because I knew his uh, his brother-in-law Jack Bannon, who was uh, 
he, he was in the uh, Lou Grant show. That's where I met him. And uh, oh, did you work um, on Lou Grant? Oh, I did the whole first year by myself. Yeah. Oh, I, and, I, uh, I'm I'm technically related to Lou uh, to Ed Asner. I my my wife's first cousin or my wife uh, my wife's cousin married Ed Asner's son. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that so, one of the twins? Okay, good. I know he, uh, Ed would come in, and you know, because he every morning he'd get up and he'd run before he'd come to work. He lived up on Mohawk somewhere. I remember he'd run a couple of miles. And I just loved, I called him Uncle Wobill. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, he, um, we, we just became, he, he, he and uh, Steve Martin were my, my two favorite actors. I just loved it. And I got to see him a couple of years ago. I met him for, uh, Calling for lunch and, and this other makeup man who worked with him, Danny Streetpack. Again, you know the one from he, Danny had done him. In fact, Danny had recommended me to him for Lou Grant, <clears throat> and, uh, and I just was unfortunate. I thought he just passed away. I guess in the last year or so. Right, right. But, uh, I, I had, had a yeah. good run, but uh, I'll tell you, if you look at your credits, it sounds like you really bonded with Steve Martin. I mean, you've done so many films with Steve Martin. How did that all begin? Well, uh, I, I I took uh, I, I, Danny Streetpeck again. He he was gonna he was doing uh, I can't think of the name of the bear uh, with my ninety three year old memory. The actress oh, uh, and she was she was uh, dating Steve Martin at the time. Uh, Brent, um, I know her initials are BP, but anyway, she was the lead. And oh, and, Bernadette and, uh, Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so she, but so anyway, Steve was, Danny was doing her and he was going to do uh, uh, um, Pennies from Heaven. So he called me, said, you want to run the show? I said, yeah. So uh, I got over and, and, and of course, Steve, who was marvelous, uh, he had his own makeup man at the time, Rick Valdiani. And uh, so uh, I did everybody on the show except Steve and, and, and uh, Bernadette. And uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, about a, uh, maybe a year or so later, uh, I was doing Chevy Chase by then, and uh, he, we were going to do Three Amigos. So uh, uh, Steve, Steve, of course, was in that. So I was doing Chevy and Marty Short, and I had other guys helping with because it was a big, big cast. So uh, and Steve used to come in, and we started. We'd play chess, and we just sort of got along. And then he came in one day, and he said, uh, "You know, I'm going to do Cyrano." my next film i said oh god that's great i said you know my my second daughter's name roxanne uh, and spelled the same way just because that is one of my favorite love stories and uh and finally he called me he said you know rick doesn't want to do this and i knew why rick you know rick was a, a, a lovely guy but he didn't know he didn't want to tackle that nose so um so i i just i just i said fine i'll be on this picture then and then Rick can have you back for the next one. Well, the next one was uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, and Rick didn't want to go on location. So I guess if you said no to Steve twice, that was it. So I, I, I just stuck with him from then on, and he just was a delight. He, he, without a doubt, I think he's the most professional, nicest man I've ever worked for, mm, bar none. Well, let, let's get back to that nose for a second in Roxanne. What were the challenges with that? Well, it was, it was funny because, you know, uh, um, Mike Westmore did it, you know, and he did the nose and, uh, and he, 
uh, he had put it on speed and they liked it and everything. So the first day, uh, um, I put the nose on and they, they all, you know, they're in the dressing room. They said, fine, it's beautiful. So he gets out in the, in the sun and he squints and his nose wrinkles up. So the director got, he put on another one. So went through it and did it again. He looked at it. He said, it's great. Well, go outside. He wrinkles. And uh, so finally I said to Steve, I said, you're going to have to learn to do this without wrinkling your nose. And in, in the meantime, I called uh, <clears throat> Mike Westmore. But, of course, Mike was one of the Westmores. So you had to learn that they were sort of the royalty of uh, Hollywood at the time. And they never let you forget it. And I said, you know, I said, you've got to take this nose you made and just add more flash edge to it. So it carries a little further down his nose into the the, the change of the plane from the nose to the to the cheekbones. Well, he said, I'm too busy. I can't do that. So I just, I, I was stuck with what, what I got. And uh, so Steve just managed, you know, he, you could ask him to do anything. He, he, he just learned to do it without really grimacing a lot. And uh, so yeah, we, we, we got along fine. He just, uh, just so I said, I can't, I can never talk about how great he was. How long did it take to put that nose on in the morning? Well, at, at first it was like an hour and a half or so, but it finally, finally got it down to where yeah, the whole makeup was probably an hour. Got it. And, uh, yeah. Did he, uh, you did his makeup, did he have his own special hair guy? Well, he had a hairdresser for a long time, <clears throat> and then when they finally left, I just started doing his hair. Because you know, basically, he he wore pretty much the same in every film, and and for for, for I guess forever he had his own barber. He used one to, uh, every couple of weeks, so uh, <laughs> the only, there wasn't much to doing to it at all. No, it's it just a matter. Of just, it, the main thing was keeping an eye on it. Because you know, uh, a lot of the young kids today they don't understand that. Only fifty percent of the job is doing the work. Then you got to keep an eye on it to see that it stays. And um, so, uh, but it, it was really no, no big deal. The la I think the last four or five films I did with him, I did the hair. Well, given the state of comedy today, and it's I think it's pretty, pretty in dire straits. I think we really miss not having Steve Martin in one or two movies a year. I'll tell you that much. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know whether he's finished with it or not, because I know the way he walked away from stand-up, and he said he'll never do it again, and uh, he just he he just got to where I think stand-up was sort of scaring him in a sense. You know, he just didn't like the crowd. He's a very, very, very quiet person. He uh, he he's not he's not crazy about large groups and, and stuff like that. In fact, I I remember he got to where um, he didn't like signing autographs. And yet he was too kind not to. So he had these cards printed up that, with his signature, and it said, "This is to show to you that Steve Martin is." I forget what. Very it was a very flowery. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you got for the, other, but uh, you got the chance to work with Martin Short on Amigos, and then of course he comes back in Father of the Bride. Oh, yeah, yeah, a couple of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Martin Short is another comedy legend. And as you know, Steve Martin and Martin are doing that TV series. Oh, yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Murders in the Building. It's just so nice to see them. I, I bet you had a lot of fun with Martin as well. Well, he was nice. He was nice. He was, 
you know, people always say, oh, God, Steve must be funny. And I said, he's like drinking warm water. Steve is not funny, you know, with, with someone like myself. With, with his contemporary, uh, Thomas, he, then he would start. But, uh, but um, and, and Marty was, was uh, pretty much the same. And, and I, I think when he did Three Amigos, I think this is really it. I, I feel, maybe I'm wrong, that it was a step up for him, for his career. And uh, so he was, at the time, he, he was always like to work, because he was riding to work at Chevy Chase. So uh, he, was, he was always late, but uh, he, he was a nice guy. And then Marty, you know, he had, uh, he, 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 he's from Canada, and I think his wife was from Canada. And they had two children, and I guess she passed away. Uh, as I remember, you know, I know the same thing happened uh, with Rick Moranis, you know, who was the lovely guy that we just did on My Blue Heaven. And um, you remember him? Yeah, in fact, I got a chance remember? to work with him shortly after his wife passed away. So he was in a very bad, bad place at that I know. time. And I think that, he pretty much left. He, yeah, he pretty much left. He left. left the business to raise his children. I just found it very admirable. Yeah, no, um, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I love I love Rick, but he he, he was fun in uh, My Blue Heaven. It was a funny show. So uh, another another one of your credits is one of my favorites. It's the fun kids picture, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh yeah, yeah, that that was a that, you know you think of all the people that got started there. Yeah, you know, or at least you know I think of Sean Penn and uh, <clears throat> uh, what's what's the black actor's name again? Um, so nice. Uh, oh, in Fast um, Times? Uh, it's funny. I remember Judge, yeah. Reinhold, Judge Reinhold. I remember Judge Jennifer, Reinhold. Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer uh, Jason Lee. Phoebe Cates. Cates and, right. Uh, Sean Penn. But uh, the, the, the black actor, the, he did Edie. Uh, uh, God, he, he, he got the born eye sort of groups. Uh, oh, oh uh, Forrest actor. Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, Forrest Whitaker, just a nice guy, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he played the football player. It was really a hell of a cast, and uh, um, we shot an awful lot of it right there uh, on the corner of um, Ventura and Sepulveda. There was a big, there's a big mall there, but at the time they had a, a big upstairs uh, mall that had a food court and everything. So we were we were there maybe. 50% of the shoot. Oh, sure. The the famous Sherman Oaks Galleria. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, I, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, um, of all the films you worked on, you've worked with a lot of directors. I'm sure you got to know a lot of directors over time. Does Do any stick out for you in terms of people you really had a lot of fun with who were just great guys? Well, I, I tell you who I really like was Michael Crichton. Oh, um, he, yo, he he was really great, and he was great to us. And um, there was a da Danny Daniel Mann. I don't even remember what I did with him, but I just remember. In fact, I went up and talked to him much because I do remember he come down with actors' notes, and uh, he, he I could just say he really he was a good, just a marvelous director. And uh, there were some I didn't care a lot for, like. There was one. Uh, he was a bully. He was married to Eve Murray Saint Jeff Jeffrey. Um, what his name was? Jeff somebody. But he was married to Eve Murray Saint. 
and he got most of his work because of her. And we we had to do a film with him. I mean, a TV. It was a TV series. And he just was mean. And one day, that he had called the hairdresser and I over to do something, and he had her in tears. You know, he was. It was that. And then he started on me. Well, he turned and he put his finger on my chest. Something people learned they never did to me. And I grabbed his finger. I said, you know, for six days you've been negative with everybody. He said, you know why I'm like this? I said, yes, sir. You're an asshole. Yes. So, of course, I, I was sent to my room. <laughs> oh, that's so crazy. That's so crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I always ask actors, ask crew people of all the actors you've worked with. When they came into the room before makeup, uh, who was the most impressive to you, women or men? I've got, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I think you will impress me a lot. Just, but uh, most of them, they didn't because to me, I was looking at a piece of work. I right. was looking at something I was going to have to wear. I, I never... Uh, I just I never felt that way about them. Uh, uh, I did. I remember I got to make up Ann Baxter just once on TV show, and I was I was impressed with her just because of her body of work. And uh, sure, sure. And you obviously you had, had a lot of fun with Steve Martin. What do you miss most? Oh yeah. What do you miss most about the business? Well, most of just, just the fun because I think. From what my daughter tells me, it's changed a lot. She, my daughter, right now doing a show with the Tom Brady, the quarterback. In fact, I think today's their last day of shooting. And, and you know, the four old women, um, uh, uh, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. Um, oh right, Grace and Frankie. Great, yeah. And so, so they're they're and the, the, the other one was uh, oh Rita Marino. So they're they're doing a show together. And uh, but she said they don't have the fun. They just don't have the fun. And uh, I think a lot of it is they don't give people time to learn the business anymore. They move up too fast. Like things she's told me on this show, I said, Jesus, you know, the first day of work. Now they got these four women from their 80s up into the 90s. And the first day, Lily Tomlin hurt her foot a little bit. I said, well, didn't they have a photo double for her for a long shot? Show and they didn't hire the father double. I said, "Geez, Jesus Christ! You know, you got four old women and you don't have photo double. I, you know, I I just don't understand it anymore. So I I I I just shut up." I did notice in your credits, Frank, that you got a chance to work with Debbie in the um, Elvis Presley movie briefly. Oh, is, yeah, is that yeah, true? Love me tender. Love yeah, me tender. Yeah, yeah. What did they? They, they, just, they just threw me a bone. Um, so uh, it was good, yeah, because uh, uh, the, there was a great old makeup man. In fact, he was the one that got me dry and named Terry Miles. And so he, he was the makeup man on the show. And uh, and I had a scene in a barn with her. But, you know, it, it was strictly a bone they threw to me. I, I never I never took it for anything. But it had, it had a hell of a cast. Uh, a lot of young young actors that were, were became bigger. I remember Bill Campbell and uh, uh, well, no, I, I just, can't remember. I anybody. just I was watching Turner Classic Movies uh, last month, and I watched uh, Omar Khayyam 
And uh, I think oh. you also have a brief oh, moment. Oh, the, oh, the, did you did you get yeah, into that ahead. one? Yeah. I well, I I was pretty well built, so they, they were using a lot of muscle mass. So I, I I I got over there for a few days, but I tell you, it was funny. I was spray painting at the time on a job shop there on Melrose Avenue, and I'm making like uh, for the time probably uh, 85, 90 bucks a week spray painting. And so she got me this job being an extra. But they laid a full beard on me, and they were paying. They were paying. I think it was eighty-five a day. Well, after one day, I said, even though it was a, a week's wages, I said I, I wasn't going to go back. That goddamn beard drove me crazy. So I got one day's work with it. But uh, uh, yeah, that was Cornell Wild. And I remember. I think if I remember right, there was an actor named Ed Platt, and that was the first time I worked with him. Oh, sure. He played the chief on Get Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And had a great voice. Uh, a very nice man. Mm -hmm. I think, I think nice it was his first film out here. So. Well, we've, we have been talking uh, very a lot, with a lot of spirit with Frank Griffin, who loved working in the business and has so many wonderful credits. Uh, Frank, I really appreciate you taking the time speaking with me because you are literally... Well, it was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you are a, a window into a great time in the business, and you've worked with some great people, and and I I, I wish you well, you know, uh, and thank you for thank you well, for you know doing what you did because you contributed some good movies. Well, thank you so much. This is Steve Rubin. We've been talking with makeup artist extraordinaire Frank Griffin, brother of. Deborah Padgett, Tila Loring, Lisa Gay, and uh, from a great show business family. And you've been on the Lock 22 Networks. Please tell all your friends about Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies, where we just love movie history. Good night.